Welcome to the Personal Equity Podcast, where we discuss investing in yourself and building personal equity. We take a deep dive with our guests into their stories, careers, and lives from both a personal and financial perspective. I'm your host, Mike Troxel. Today, we'll be speaking with Hans Struzina, who is a luxury real estate agent in the San Francisco Bay Area. In our conversation, we covered real estate, athletics, and personal investments. The links and information in the episode can be found at personalequitypodcast.com. Hi, Hans. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to the show. Mike, bro, I really appreciate you having me on. I'm really excited to be here. So I'd love to begin with the present. And can you give listeners an idea of sort of where you are now and uh, what you're up to these days? Yeah. Um, well, my my little tagline that I have on my YouTube channel and on my website is <clears throat> Olympian Realtor and Podcaster. So uh, the the obvious one is the Olympian that everyone wants to know. So I was in the Olympics uh, for Team USA in 2016 on the rowing team. Once I retired from that, which we'll obviously dig into, got into real estate and am now a luxury real estate agent in the Bay Area with the top team in, in the East Bay called the Gunderman Group. And then I have a podcast called Another Way to Play, which I've been fortunate to have you on. So I'm glad I could return the favor and be on your show. Um, and it's, uh, it's kind of a mindset entrepreneurial based podcast where we talk about people's stories and how they got from where they were to where they wanted to be. Great. I'd love to dig into all that. Maybe we can uh, quickly touch on a couple. We can go in the exact order that you mentioned and quickly we can talk a little bit of Olympics. I know, um, you know, rowing, there's not a big sponsorship component or a financial component. So was was that a difficult decision for you post-college to delay, quote, you know, diving into your career uh, for a couple of years or how did, or did you delay it and how did you manage that? Yeah, I mean, I I did delay it for sure. Um, Cause, well, let me back up. So when I when I finished college, uh, I was class of twenty eleven, and and finished University of Washington. And basically, the next day after my finals were done, I drove down to San Diego, or flew down to San Diego rather, and joined the national team and started immediately trying to get into boats there uh, with the senior with the senior team. Um, I just knew immediately that that was the pursuit I was going to go for. And I had the vision of trying to make 2012 and, and sort of knowing that was maybe a touch of a long shot, but I had the skills and the erg scores and the fitness levels and all that stuff to potentially do it. Um, so I went there with that, with that goal, but I had a lot of learning and growing to do, but I always knew that I was going to be in it for a full quadrennial which was going to uh, finish up at Rio in, in the Olympics. So I always had that circled in my calendar. Um, so there wasn't really ever a consideration of like, I'm giving something up. I, I sort of saw rowing as my career, so to say, even though it wasn't making me any money. And I, I recognized early on that I wanted to be in the Olympics and wanted to pursue that and would figure out the rest along the way. And, um, certainly the goal of your show is to talk about investing in yourself and, and along the way of my rowing career, you know, I, I learned sales and I read a ton of books and listened to podcasts and, um, 
just got educated both on real estate, on sales, on business, on mindset, all that sort of stuff in between practices. And I think on the one hand, I delayed my career uh, formally. So I was doing a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have otherwise done just because it was flexible. Um, but at the same time, it gave me the freedom to really think about what I wanted to do and to develop my, I guess my mindset around, you know, going out and like, what do I actually want to put my time and energy into once rowing is over? And so I definitely hit the ground running to some degree. Um, once, once I decided to retire officially from elite rowing and get into business full time. Yep. And do you have an earliest memory of making investments like that in yourself? I mean, you mentioned, it sounds like, you know, based on your 2011 graduation, maybe you're 23, 20, you know, 22, 23, 24, making mm -hmm. these investments in your sort of self for your future career. And I, you know, I did some homework on you as well and um, listened to the bulletproof interview you did. And you've obviously made conscious investments in yourself physically, right. not just, you know, exercise, but diet and other things. Were you right. sort of always like that? Or, or is there an early memory where you sort of took um, life and took uh, the outcomes a little more into your hands? Yeah. Um, earlier for sure. I mean, the, you don't get to a high level of anything without you know, being intentional about it to some degree, at least like there's definitely a talent component that comes into play with most, um, with most, you know, high achieving athletic uh, pursuits, but you know, you obviously have to work hard. I mean, early, earliest memories I can really think of were my mom was actually into uh, bodybuilding competitions where she would, she was in her fifties at the time, which was like kind of crazy in and of itself that she pursued that such so late in life. But she's like, I, this is something I really want to try and I've never done it. So I'm going to do it now. And she was always, you know, going to the gym, working really hard. Um, she wasn't trying to put on a ton of mass. She was trying to do the physique stuff. So they go for symmetry and like, you know, muscle tone and that sort of stuff. So she was always then eating really consciously for two years. I think she was like, you know, doing egg whites and um, fry or a, a fish on the George Foreman in the kitchen at 6am and like measuring out everything. And I'm just thinking like, my goodness, like there's a whole world of, you know, knowledge and expertise here that I didn't know existed. And then I started to meet some of the other people in her gym and her trainer and all these people who were involved in this world. And then realizing like, oh, there's stuff that I can do to up my performance as well. And long story short, like I started, I, gosh, I don't know exactly what age that was, but you know, 13, 14, I'm sure 15, maybe somewhere in that ballpark, um, you know, started making oatmeal for breakfast that had some protein powder in it with some nuts and, you know, stuff like that. And then was really paying attention to like not eating a bunch of cereal and cookies and stuff and, and instead trading those snacks out for, I don't know, whatever it was that was more healthy, brown rice and quinoa and chicken breast and that sort of thing with the intention of like having it help me perform better uh, at my at my chosen sport, which ultimately was rowing, but it in the beginning wasn't. And, you know, that I guess that's my first moment of like investment in in myself from a just a knowledge database relative to food and and the effect it has on my performance and then it obviously went from there into you know 
sales skills and personal development and podcasting and YouTubing and all that other stuff. That's super interesting. And that's something I'm really fascinated by, you know, as somebody with, with a couple of young kids is, and, and it's tough to tell, right? There's no way to know, but I, I'm always curious how much you seeing your mom pursue that or just be fit and healthy, how much that influenced you. Uh, obviously, you know, ignoring any gen- genetic components of, of athleticism, but it's, uh, do you have any thoughts or, or opinion on that? Yeah. I mean, the parents for sure influence, and I would say she, both my parents were good about this in so much as they didn't like pressure us to do things, but there was sort of an expectation that you would do something productive with your time. You're not going to just like sit home and watch TV. Uh, so there was, there had to be something, right. But you kind of got to choose what it was. And for me, it was always athletics. Like I tried uh, choir, I've, I tried instruments, um, and they were super supportive of all that stuff, but I just naturally wasn't into it. I wasn't particularly good at it. I'm sure I could have been if I tried harder, but I just didn't want to. And then, um, they were, they were really supportive of the, of sports, um, whenever I wanted to pursue those things and helped me do that and, and not push me into it either. Cause I think that's one thing that, you know, <laughs> a lot of people joke cause my wife is also an Olympic rower and people joke like, Oh, your, your kids are born to be Olympic rowers. I'm like, yeah, I guess. But like, that's also something that if, and when we have kids, we're not going to push on them because you know, there's, there's added pressure from the first, moment of like getting in a boat that like you you're genetically you should be pretty good at this because your parents were so um i think there's an element of just watching and seeing what she was doing thinking it was cool and being like i want to try that too yeah awesome so fast forwarding a little bit you're in real estate so how did you get into real estate were you always interested in it or what what made you land where we are today yeah uh so real estate, broadly speaking, has kind of been a family business for a long time. And by that, I mean, my grandfather was a uh, really big time developer in the Seattle area. That's where I grew up is Seattle, um, Pacific Northwest. And so he was a really big real estate developer, huge part of the downtown commercial real estate scene. Two of his sons uh, ended up taking that business over. Uh, from him when he retired and are still involved in it today. Um, my dad is a real estate and business attorney. So he was always kind of introducing us to people who owned buildings or was putting deals together or, you know, is obviously part of many deals as an owner as well. Um, his brother uh, was an architect who owned a bunch at one point, owned a number of apart- large apartment buildings in Philadelphia. So it was just kind of like, either consciously or uh, unconsciously surrounded by it at from, from birth more or less. And then fast forward how I actually got into it. So I would go down to San Diego, uh, let's see a couple times a year for training trips uh, between 2013 and 2016. And I would stay, we would have to stay at Airbnbs because we weren't always able to stay on the, on the Olympic training site because the rooms were full or what have you. And so we stayed with this couple this one time who had three young kids at a big house, not too far from the training center, um, opened their house up. So we stayed in part of it. They stayed in the other part um, and just uh, noticed that they had this lifestyle that was like, man, you guys are home. You guys are fit. You've got 
like what seems like a pretty cool family. You're like cool people. They had all these tile samples and stuff on one part of their counter. And so one day I was like, yo, what do you guys do? Like, what are all these tile samples? Like, oh, we flip houses and we're real estate agents. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so basically just kept talking to them, asking about it, trying to understand what they would do. And then that turned into a friendship that fast forward post Olympics, they called me and said, we would love to propose an opportunity to you. Can you come to San Diego? So I did. They made me an offer to uh, basically open an off a satellite office of their division up here in the Bay Area that I would run and I could use all of their back end. Basically what it meant is I was making cold calls several hours a day and then going on appointments and trying to trying to find business that way. And that's and it and I saw that as a very flexible opportunity to get into the real estate world. And then I could also potentially go back to train if I wanted to. So I took it and that was almost four years ago now or coming up on four years ago. And then, um, and then I've made some pivots ever since then, but yeah, that was, that's how I got in. That's great. And one of the things that has, you know, interested and, and attracted me to, to you as a real estate, um, professional is not only do you have the technical savvy and the and the expertise but you're also a real estate investor is that right oh yeah um i was mentioning that when i was training for uh the olympics i was also doing a lot of podcast listening because i was in sales and so i had to drive to and from these sales appointments um, because that was the one job that was super flexible uh with training schedules and travel schedules so I was selling beer and then I was selling solar and on the way to and from these, these sales calls and these appointments, I was listening almost exclusively to podcasts at a certain point. And I spent the better part of a year and a half in my car in between practices going to and from listening to things like bigger pockets and Grant Cardone and like all these different trainers and then reading books. And I was really focused on like, man, as soon as I get, going in the world and I'm done rowing, I want to get into sales and I want to save money and buy real estate property so I can get cash flow. And it just sort of evolved from there. And then <laughs> convinced my wife that that or girlfriend at the time, now wife, that that was a good idea. And she bought in and uh, we now own some rental properties. I've flipped a house. Obviously I uh, help people buy and sell regularly and we're looking actively at our next deal at the moment, um, which is going to be probably the biggest deal we've ever even looked at. Uh, and it's uh, yeah, it's gonna be gonna be a huge renovation project and a, and a lot of units. So we're pretty excited about that. That's really exciting. And I think I recall hearing an interesting story with some ups and downs related to your first real estate investment. Is that right? And is that, is that something you want to share? Yeah, man. Um, so let's see. This was 2018. So just about two, almost exactly two years ago now. Uh, I had a house that I found because I was cold calling. Like I told you, I was cold calling, you know, distressed homeowners. We were focused on short sales, which is a terrible transaction just because of the nature of it and the emotions and stuff. But it, as a real estate agent, it's a great way to cut your teeth because you just have to learn so fast and you, you grow up real quick in that, in that regard. So I found these guys who uh, had a bankruptcy and they wanted to sell, but they didn't want to go on the market. I brought it to an investor and he didn't want it for whatever reason. But then I was running the numbers and was like, I just, this makes sense. Like, I think I can do this. So I brought in it. I brought it to a couple of people for who would lend and 
long story short is I bought it and did the renovation and, and went to, went to resell it as a flip. Simultaneously, we decided that we also wanted to buy a, this rental property. Um, it was a duplex up in Washington state, not too far from where I'm from. And so we had this moment where we're like, we have our deposit in on this duplex. The, the rental or the flip is almost done. We are like less than a week from putting it on the market. And um, the, oh no, we, we were about a day from putting it on the market. And I get this, uh, this letter in the mail from the, from the county, which was a mechanics lien for $20,000. And if, for those of you who don't know, what a mechanics lien is, is basically a, a contractor, subcontractor, supplier can encumber the title of the property um, to make sure that they get um, uh, get paid, essentially. So if someone skips town and doesn't pay them, they have a they have recourse. So we get this mechanics lien for twenty thousand dollars, which was the amount that he was supposed to be paid once we closed, because I was trying, I was running on a real shoestring budget, and you can't pass clear and equitable title on if you don't have this mechanic if you have a mechanics lien on and i didn't have money to pay him and so we were sort of in the standoff situation uh it, luckily i was able to borrow the money to pay him so he would release the mechanics lien give the uh and and make sure that he gave away all his rights to to putting a further one ever again and Luckily, I sold it like a week later for the amount of money that I was hoping to get for it. And, and all's well that ends well in the, in the end, I suppose. But it was a mo there were about two days there when I was like, oh my gosh, like we're going to go bankrupt because we don't have enough money to cover this and we're about to lose our deposit on this other one or we're going we're gonna to basically be eating ramen noodles for a couple months here because this is going to get real dire. And uh, it worked out, luckily, but it wasn't without a ton of stress at the time. I'm glad it worked out. I'm glad it uh, didn't scare you away from the real estate industry. So you, you, you've you stayed in the game and, uh, and and benefited. And closing my earlier thought, one of the, you know, again, one of the reasons I, I like working with you is sometimes, you know, every industry, every professional, they have, you know, certain, uh, we have blind spots, we have certain issues. And sometimes with real estate professionals, it seems like every house is a good house. Um, whether you're buying or selling, right? Every transaction is a good transaction. Um, and I know with you, especially because you have an experience as an investor, a real estate investor, that I get the sense that you're looking at properties with a little bit of a different lens. And, and I think uh, I think people really appreciate that. Well, it's it's true. I mean, relative to your first comment and the and the scope of this show is like you invest into yourself and what better investment in that moment um, than the knowledge that I gained. And I, and I made a profit. I made, um, I think we did, I think we turned like a 10 and a half percent profit, which isn't, if anyone knows flipping, it's not like, that's kind of the minimum you'd want to make. But for the first deal, it's not bad. And I got a huge education you know, I ultimately realized the downside was pretty minimal. So even if all hell broke loose, I'd probably make no money, but I, we could get all the money back. And, um, you know, I just, I gained so many skills now having been on the side, the buyer side of the transaction, the seller, the investor, the real estate agent dealing with contractors with title issues on my own house. 
now I can advise people when it's their house or their investment property in a very different way and tell you like, I know how you feel because I've literally been there. Um, and, and it's like a lot of people don't exercise those additional sort of avenues, even if you're a financial planner, you're a real estate agent. And it's like, you know, we, we sort of deliver a service, but we don't necessarily always get onto the other side of the transaction and do it ourselves. And I think you just gain such a level of, uh, of expertise by doing it that way. Um, and, and kind of flexing those muscles, uh, so you can be even more valuable to clients as you, as you transact in the future. Yep. And so if someone's listening to this, uh, do you want to describe what, what market you serve, sort of what, um, you know, what locations and, and you know, who might want to reach out to you? Yeah, man, the, the Bay Area is where, where I live, not too far from, from you. Uh, but I serve specifically the inner East Bay uh, is what we call it. So it's Oakland, Berkeley, Alameda, kind of all up to Richmond a little bit, down into like Hayward, San Leandro a little bit. And then I do a few things out in kind of La Mirinda, but mostly it's Oakland, Alameda, Berkeley is my, my core. And I don't know the answer to this, but maybe you have an idea. <clears throat> How many real estate agents out there have a email newsletter, a podcast, and a YouTube channel? Well, I, ha I do know that there's like, and I heard this from another agent who has a pretty big YouTube following. She was saying that about 12% of, of actual estate agents have a YouTube channel. And of those, like, I don't know what percentage um, even post regularly to it. You know, it's one thing to have it. It's another thing to put content on it. Um, but it's probably well under 10% of people putting out valuable active content. And then if you combine the newsletter and the podcast and all that, I'm, I'm willing to bet it's probably, you know, well under 5% and maybe even less than that. And so how do you answer the question? If someone asks you, how do you have the time to do all of that? It's, uh, it's an interesting question. Um, I mean, on the one hand, it, all of those things you just described, YouTube, newsletters, all of that, it takes time. You have to record the content, you have to write it, you have to, like what we're doing, we have to record an episode, it takes time. And then there's obviously the back end where you have to work out all the mechanics or edit or whatever. And so the, the short answer is you can hire people to help you or you can just um, devote time in your, in your day uh, to do it yourself. And that, and I do a hybrid. I have some people who help me, but that's only recent that I hired some people to help me. Um, it's, it's really just came down to a prioritization of me deciding, Hey, they're like, to your point, there's not a lot of people doing the, these mediums and there, there's very, there's even less doing them well. And so if I, believe there's value in, in this. And if I believe I can deliver value to others in this, it's worth doing right. And I just scheduled it out. I just said, you know, on Wednesdays, I record my YouTube videos on um, these certain days during these time blocks, I'll record my, my podcast on um, these days. I, I edit them and I have them uploaded by this time. And, you know, just literally built myself a schedule and just stick to it. And then honored the other times when you need to go do transactional work, you need to have family time, like really building that in whatever that looks like for you is, is the key. Cause the, the saying you don't have time 
is a terrible excuse because everybody in the world has the same 24 hours. It's, it's a matter of your priorities and a matter of your time management. And that's why some people are successful and others are not is because they, they don't recognize that difference. And, and yes, like a big CEO can hire people and leverage it out and, uh, you know, hire and pay a bunch of money and have it done. But that wasn't always necessarily the case. They, they started from somewhere too. And if you're willing to put in some work and, and suffer through a couple of months or a year or whatever of it's, it's hard and it's taking a lot of time to edit all this stuff and put it out there, um, you know, you will come out the other side much better for it. So it's, it's really just planning it out and committing to a schedule. So when you got started in, in some of these projects, uh, going similar to your Olympic journey, right? You, you started in 2011 and you were fully committed all the way through 2016. You mentioned you had that date, you had that date circled on your calendar. When you started these, when you started these projects, was there a similar timeline as far as no matter what, no matter how many readers or listeners or viewers, I'm going to pump out 50 episodes or X amount. Mm-hmm. When I when I did the podcast, which I, I, I actually hired a coach to help me with the podcast to get it started. And that was that's an example of leverage and money and stuff, right? But I still had to do the work. He helped me figure it out really like it was it was unbelievable how much help he gave me in the beginning. Um, and, uh, I, I committed to him that I was going to do this for at least one year and produce a minimum of 100 episodes, which would have been two a week or just, it's, it's just under two a week. Right. But it's effectively, I was committing to two a week for a year. And so I just said, okay, like that's what I'm going to do. And I'm, and I'm now, as of the recording of this, I just launched the 88th episode and now to me, it's just like part of my, part of my week, part of my day, like is, and I've, I have someone who helps me kind of edit it. I actually, we've started a company that, um, helps with the post production on a very cost effective and, and quick and high quality basis. Um, which is something that I wouldn't have expected when I started this journey, but I met up some other podcasters and we started that, but long story short is, um, committed to that that first year and now I'm I'm building systems and building expectations in my own brain of like now I'm not even considering stopping I'm I'm pivoting maybe a little bit or trying to get different types of guests on there or whatever but I'm I'm still going to keep it going same thing with the YouTube channels like I just if I do one video a week for 52 weeks like I'll, I'm going to go till I get that and then if it's a total waste of time after that. At least I have 52 videos out there of me talking about real estate stuff and maybe someone will see it one day and give me a call and then it all would have been worth it if like one or two people called me, you know, in two years or whatever. So, um, so yes, I, I had those commitments. I had those numbers in mind and just set myself in that direction, uh, so that I wouldn't, you know, burn out or, um, get discouraged if I only had 20 listeners or, 12 subscribers or whatever. And, you know, cause that wasn't the point. The point was to do it for a long time and, uh, you know, and, and just go until I at least hit that mark. I love it. Okay. So that seems like a, a common theme with, um, with some of your goals is, is, you know, circle a date on the calendar or, uh, or ha- have a target. Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting way to put it. I, I don't know that I've ever really thought of it that way, but, but yeah, totally. You're right. And so one thing I'm interested in is, and, and well, first and foremost, you're 
somebody I, I'm really looking forward to, or I was really looking forward to talking to because you've made so many investments in yourself. And there's an interesting, you, you have a, you're obviously a very high performer. And for some of these projects, you're obviously allocating time and energy, but you also have the ability to allocate money and delegate resources elsewhere. I mean, you, you just mentioned the podcast coach, you have podcast editors. So as a high performer, as someone who's an Olympian who could have the mindset, I can do anything. How do you draw the line where, you know what, I need to, I need to bring in an outsider for this or my energy is not, uh, well spent here. Yeah, man, that's tough. Um, because I, I do believe that I could learn anything and everything. I mean, and, and probably do it pretty effectively. I, I would, I by no means think that I would be a professional like podcast editor or video editor or something like that, but I could, I could get pretty proficient at it in a relatively short amount of time. However, there's a point at which you have to decide what your time is worth. And if you can find somebody else to do work for you for less than what your time is valued at, then, you know, that's a pretty simple equation to decide like, okay, I should outsource this. However, it's especially when you're getting going and especially if you're new to a business or you just started a business and you have to really be budget conscious and what you have is time. That's, that's the resource you need to put in there. But ultimately I'd say, um, you know, when you find someone, a VA or an assistant or something like that, who is as or more talented than you are, who's willing to do that work for less than you could go make, you know, serving a client or, or fulfilling another order or something like that's the moment you should get it passed over. Um, and then the one other thing that I will say that I think was really valuable to me is I've, I've part of masterminds. I've met a lot of entrepreneurs who've fumbled into this world as well, where, if you try and hire it out too quickly, you, you probably don't know what is required. And like, you may just hire someone who can't perform or can't produce because you're trying to get off your plate really quickly. And then you end up being frustrated and taking that job back. Um, if you do it yourself for a little while and just at least long enough to learn the basics of it, you can then articulate what you need done to what level you need it done. And, and then what you're willing to pay for it um, to, to get it done. And, and that hiring decision becomes much easier and the deliverable and the expectations are much um, clearer for everybody involved. And so I think, I think you have to draw that line of like, try it for a little while yourself, um, you know, see what it, what it actually is going to take and then decide to hire it out to a firm or an individual. Uh, it's simple, simply that. Yeah, no, I uh, I think you hit the nail on the head, and and thankfully that was something I heard someone say at a conference maybe a couple of years ago, and and because of that I've been a lot better at documented my documenting my own processes, so when the day comes where I need to delegate something, I at least sort of I you know I know I know what I'm doing, I have the steps, and I can I can teach them instead of just telling them or asking them or hoping or praying, right. Yeah, and it's it's hard because we all want to rush the process more than we should, and and to your point, especially around like content creation, whether it's a podcast or a YouTube video, we all want 
a million listeners or a million viewers immediately, right? Generally speaking, that doesn't happen regardless of what all the ads and all the stuff will tell you. It's a long-term game, just like hopefully you're building a business or you're trying to build a brand or you're trying to, whatever you're trying to do is a long-term game for you. It's not just something I'm going to do for two years and try and make a bunch of money and leave. Because if that's the case, that's this is not a, a strategy or something you should probably focus on. You should, there are other ways to make that happen. Um, but when you have an expectation of time uh, being appropriately sort of uh, executed or, or thought about, I guess is maybe the right way to put that. Um, and you put time on your side, most importantly, then your success is all but guaranteed. It's, it's like, I am now at a point where I'm kind of in a rhythm I've got, I've got some assistance. I've got some ideas of like all this content I want to put out and how it's starting to work together. And it took me like six months of kind of fumbling through it myself. But now I have a really clear idea of what I'm trying to do and I'm committed to it. And I just know if I just keep at this, like I am basically guaranteed to succeed and to get the things that I want out of it. Um, because I've put time on my side. If I wanted to do it all in one month, you know, there's not enough time to make it all happen. Right. So that's, that's another part of this is the mindset around time. So you mentioned succeed there. And so I've uh, sort of a two part question with the content you've been putting out. Can you directly tie any business activity to that? And as a follow up outside of uh, any business gained, what are some of the other benefits that you've gained or you're gaining with these um, projects. All right. Yeah. Um, so podcast, I told you I'm at 88 episodes. I've got, I, I've, I'm, I know I'm, rec- I've, I've recorded over a hundred for sure. Cause I, I know it's in my back end. Um, they just haven't released yet. And I just, uh, let's see, two weeks ago, got my first real estate client who was a guest on my podcast. We talked about real estate investing, about mindset, about, you know, sort of being a guy who wants to work, um, you know, to try and make good investments so that he doesn't necessarily have to work for our hourly wage for the rest of his life. And then he got, he has some rental properties and he's like, Hey, my wife and I are looking to buy something and we want to buy something where we can add some value, yada, yada. Um, long story short is he decided to work with me as an agent. We found him this house that he's now going to buy. It's a two bedroom, one bath. And there's a really clear path forward for him to make it a three bedroom, two bath. And if he does that, he's going to be upside, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of equity uh, just based on the neighborhood he's buying into. And it was really, really cool to see that. So, so that was my first official like client, you know, that I can equate right back to the podcast. And, um, and the interesting thing is, is my podcast is not about real estate. It's about entrepreneurship. It's about creating a life of freedom. It's about mindset. It, we didn't really talk about real, real estate agent Hans in that way. It's, but I built a relationship with him, which sort of then leverages into the next part of your question, which is like, what are some of the unmonetizable, um, or the, uh, or the not directly monetized benefits. I mean, number one is growth of your network, you know, especially with something like a podcast. If you called somebody up who you respected and said, Hey, can I get coffee with you? Or can I take you to lunch or whatever? Like that's fine. But they get hit up with 
that all the time and they only have so many lunches and coffees they can go on and, and you stealing a bunch of their time is probably not one of those things that they're going to focus on. However, if you go, hey, will you come on my podcast? I want to feature you because I saw your article about blah, blah, blah. You know, they're probably going to say yes or they're going to at least think about it. Now you have, you know, 40 minutes or whatever of their time and you can ask them any questions you want. You can build a relationship with them and now you have an excuse to follow up with them too. And, and then thirdly is sort of, or next is like posting that content. Like I had a buddy who we overlapped briefly. He went to a totally different school than me, but we competed against each other. I think he was a sophomore when I was a senior, something like that. Um, we competed against one another, didn't really know each other super well, just very, very casually. And then out of the blue, he hits me up on LinkedIn. I'm at 45 episodes in and I've been posting twice a week, uh, every week. And he's like, Hey, I've been really liking your content. Um, uh, you know, I, I've been following you since you started. Uh, and I, I, I really think that you and I are aligned. Like I do lending now. I know you're in real estate. Would you be open to hopping on a call and just seeing, you know, what business synergy we have? Of course I said, yes, we hopped on a call and reconnected. And he then introduced me to uh, a CPA who's um, over in the, in the peninsula over in like Burlingame, for those of you who know that is his little south of San Francisco. Um, who doesn't have a relationship with a real estate agent in the East Bay. And I said, well, you know, and, and who's also a rowing guy. And he made that connection. I'm connected with that guy. And he's like, yeah, anytime that I have referrals for the East Bay, you know, they're coming your way. And so while that hasn't necessarily directly monetized, it will eventually because it's a relationship uh, situation. And it was something that directly came out of me just literally posting and then getting on a phone call with someone to reconnect. And it's like, you can't put a business plan around something like that. You just cannot. <laughs> yep. No, I, I love hearing those direct examples. And I'm sure there are more indirect examples uh, or, or indirect ones that you maybe don't know about or there will be, right? As far as somebody that knows you that refers business to you down the road. And maybe deep down, one of the reasons is because they, they keep seeing your name pop up. Right. Right. Um, well, like if you Google my name, I now sort of own the front page of Google for Hans Strazina. Like almost everything that pops up with the exception of the Olympic website is either a social media account I control or my own website. And that's because I've been really diligent about putting out content and putting out stuff that hopefully people are resonating with and getting traction and getting, you know, clicks and whatever. And slowly but surely, it'll start to add up. And then so anytime someone Googles me, they'll see Olympian, they'll see real estate agent, they'll see social media, they'll see my YouTube, they'll see like, oh my gosh, this guy's like all over the place. Like, and then they'll see the content hopefully I'm putting out and they're like, yeah, he's not only just a real estate agent, but he's putting a lot of value out in the world and um, giving a lot of it away for free. And I imagine if I called him, he would just, you know, double down on all of that and deliver even more, you know, that's obviously what I'm going for from, from sort of a mindset standpoint. But, um, but yeah, man, it's, 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 like I said, it's a game that you have to kind of play over time. But, uh, uh, but yeah, those are some of the benefits directly and indirectly, I would say and anyone who's considering a, a starting something, whether it's a YouTube or a podcast or whatever is to, is just to 
get going and, and start the platform so that you can leverage into new relationships like what I've already described. And you mentioned the the podcast coach and the mastermind groups. Can you can you talk a little bit about those? And, and I know I know I, I know those aren't free. I know they're you know sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes they cost a pretty penny. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, man. Like you know, I've invested between podcast coaching, masterminds, uh, different events I've gone to, and then, you know, various courses and books and that sort of thing. I'm surely over 30 grand over the last, I don't know how many years. Um, but when you start to add it up and you look at it, you're like, that's definitely better than a year of college tuition. And I would argue that I got, (laughs) um, a lot more out of it from a, from a life perspective and a network perspective than I would than I did out of college. Um, but it's, but it's definitely, there's a certain point at which the free stuff like is good and it'll get you a long way. Like listening to podcasts will get you started. Absolutely. But you also need to be willing to, to at some point start to invest in relationships and in opportunities, which is where something like a mastermind or an event where you can go network and meet new people, uh, could come into play. And you know, that's, that can be a little bit hard because, you know, obviously the host is trying to sell you into it and they have a financial interest. But um, if you do some diligence and, and learn uh, who the host is and who they're bringing on and who you might meet there, it uh, I can tell you absolutely without a doubt, it can return hundred times over your life if you if you sort of strategically choose those. So I know with these type of investments, a lot of times the ROI is totally there. And like you mentioned, 10x, 100x, but there's still a psychological component that makes it difficult. Um, do you, or for a lot of people, but it seems like you can, you are able to really overcome that. Is, you know, is that something that you struggle with at all? Or are you pretty quick to, you know, once you, once you decide, you, you know, you're happy to write the check? It depends on the size of the check. Um, sometimes the big ones are really hard to write, even if it seems like it's the right thing to do um, because it's a big number. And the first time you do it, it's going to hurt. Uh, you know, there's no way around that. However, there's a couple things that I knew um, going into this. I was like, okay, what's the worst case scenario? I meet, you know, and get to know over the next six to 12 months um, other like-minded entrepreneurs who are on a similar journey to me, have similar interests to me. Some of them are even in my industry. Um, Many of them are not. And like, if I just meet those people, get into their worlds, they get into my world and we all come together. uh, I, I believe for myself that I will, I will make that a positive ROI in the long run. And, and that's one of the hardest things to do is to, make it a positive ROI in the long run. If you're focused on like, if I join this mastermind for 10 grand, where, how am I going to make 10 grand back immediately? And while you might, like you might make a business opportunity or meet a client or get an opportunity somewhere along the line that would return immediately. Like that happens all the time. But for example, four of the guy or three of the other guys in this mastermind I joined, um, only two months ago, so even during COVID, had this crazy idea of starting this this podcast post-production company. We're all podcasters. We saw an issue with the offerings of the market um, relative to helping people edit their shows and how expensive and how poor quality it was. 
So we're like, there has to be a better way to do this. So we came together and, and long story short, formed a business um, that hasn't made money yet, but will. And ha- we have a business plan and a process that we're really excited about. And, and we're talking about, you know, at some point, you know, selling the company or, or having a liquidity event potentially. I don't, I mean, who knows? So something might change later, but um, that would be, you know, seven figures each plus. And that's obviously in the plan, but I couldn't have determined that that would have happened when I first joined the mastermind. But I knew enough that I was like, if there are cool people in this group, then I will build some relationships that will turn into something at some point along the line that'll be super worth it. And I can tell you, like, for sure, this is worth it. Even even if we don't make any money, um, even if we don't go totally bankrupt, like the amount that I've learned and the amount that um, the relationships that I've built with these three other guys, it's like, like, that's worth the price of admission right there. So it sounds like there's a little cold feet sometimes writing the checks, but but you're pretty good at at, at diving in and um, and for any listeners, I mean, what I mean by that is just using real estate as an example. If you're in the Bay Area and you're an agent and you and you sell a house, for example, you're you're going to make a a nice a very nice check. But you know, if there's a a course out there, say it's a thousand dollar sales course. You might look at that as, oh, that you know, that's expensive. It's a thousand dollars. I'm not sure if I want to do that. But you know, the one of the ROIs, right, is you know, if you sold one extra house in your career, I mean, that you could be a 10, 20, 30, 40 x return. Um, but still, it, you know, it it does hurt writing that check. And I know um, that's obviously more in my business, and and I think a lot about the psychology of spending and also the, the rationalization, right? Um, you know, I might be. I might be able to rationalize a $200 pair of jeans and, and you may not or vice versa. Right. Um, so it's, you know, I think it's definitely paid off for you, your ability to sort of um, make those personal investments. And, and that's sort of, uh, you know, what, what this show is all about. So outside of some of those sort of career related investments, are there any other ways that you allocate, you know, time, money, resources, uh, into yourself as far as, you know, your relationships go. Um, you mentioned your wife, any mental health, physical health. Yeah. So, um, a variety of things, and this has changed over time for sure, but it, you know, I've got a, a bunch of different things. Like one is, uh, fitness, I mean, most mornings, my wife and I work out together. I say most because sometimes we don't, or it's, you know, stuff going on with life and we have to get started too early or whatever, but I make a priority to, to continue staying fit physically. Um, because obviously athletics were such a big part of my life, uh, like yourself. And we, uh, you know, and I just find that I operate better generally speaking when I am working out on a fairly regular schedule. Um, same thing with reading, like I'll wake up at just before 6am, uh, take the dog out, make my smoothie and then read a book for at least 30 minutes. And usually it's something lately, it's been something personal development or business wise, but I've sort of pivoted into, um, not biographies per se, but books written by business leaders who I respect about their journeys and stories to try try and understand their mindset and the way that they tackle problems. And, 
Um, basically, it's something you know to to make me better at what I'm trying to do. Uh, and then date night on Wednesday, we we hold that really true is it's, it's blocked out on the calendar. We've had a challenge lately trying to just physically stop working um, in order to start date night. And we've gotten a lot better at that, but that took a lot of discipline, but it's like phone goes off at five o'clock and we, we just hang out with one another, talk about our lives, talk about our businesses, talk about our trips that we want to take, whatever it is, and, and really make that a point to like pour into our relationship, at least one night a week. And then obviously on the weekends too, but that's like our designated investment investment in our relationship during the week, if you will. I, I love getting a, a glimpse into your calendar right now. I mean, you have your YouTube days, your podcast days, your, your date nights. Um, it's, it's beautiful. So if I took a look at your bookshelf right now, um, what, what are some of the books that I would see? Let's see on my desk right now. I've got um, Millionaire Real Estate Investor and Millionaire Real Estate Agent by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan. On my table uh, that's behind me, I've got Ryan Sirhan's book that I finished not too long ago. And then uh, one of Howard Schultz's books um, called From the Ground Up. Um, that one's really fascinating and I'm working through that one. And then, uh, I gosh, my Kindle is just littered with I don't have as many physical books. I do a lot of the Kindle, but I, I'm littered with anything from um, one book that I tell a lot of people to read is Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. Uh, that's an unbelievable decision-making and mindset book um, from a professional poker player who won well over $6 million per, uh, in tournaments and stuff. And then um, a Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss is a great negotiating book that I reread at least once a year. Beautiful. And I do recall you recommending never split the difference to me one time. I don't believe it's on my uh, Kindle samples currently, but I'm, I'm going to add it right after this call because I forgot last time. Yeah, man, that's a that's a great book. I mean, Chris Voss was a hostage negotiator for the FBI for like 20 something years, and he now owns and runs a, um, a, a negotiation company where they, they train, they do trainings, they help people with their negotiating skills. Uh, and they, he just has so much good stuff. And I've literally implemented stuff directly out of his book. He's also got some good YouTube content, but right out of his book into my real estate practice and it has worked, um, beautifully. So it's just like, there's so much practicality in that book that you'll get if you have any need, which we all do for negotiating. <laughs> That's great. And I've heard books described as the most underpriced asset in the world. I mean, think about it, right? These authors, they spend hours and hours and hours and hours researching, writing, and then, you know, we get to buy it for what, you know, $10. Exactly. You know, you're for the amount of the leverage you get out of the money that you spend on the book and the time to read it, you've basically taken probably what someone took, I don't know, 10 years or more, sometimes a career, sometimes a couple of years to learn and write. Um, you're getting that in the matter of a couple hours for 10 or $20. Like, and then you go apply that, apply one thing of that into your life. You've now cut so much time off your learning journey. It's, you know, when you look at it like that, you're like, oh, I should be reading more, right? <laughs> yeah. No, and you make a good point about, about the time investment, right? I mean, the, the, the dollar per hour that the author's getting 
is is basically zero. So it, it would be interesting if on the back of every book, right, they had the, uh, and I'm sure they have this on Amazon, you know, instead of the price, because the price is really negligible, they had the sort of price of, of hours it would take the average person to read. Uh, because that, that's really what you're putting into it. Yeah, man. It's and and that's the other thing. It's like it's one thing to buy a course or buy a book or go to an event or hi, go to a mastermind. And that it's something I wanted to bring up is like you have to pony up whether it's ten dollars for a book or ten thousand for a mastermind group for a year. Um, either way, you know you get out of it what you put into it, and it still requires you to show up and and you know, make the friends or read it and implement it or whatever it is um, to then have the value because it ultimately like no, you can't, there's no, I, I've yet to find a, a, an app or a doctor or a, a guru who will, you know, plug something into your brain for $10,000 and hit download. And 30 minutes later, you now have all this knowledge and all this expertise on some topic. Like you still have to learn it. You still have to implement and go after it. And, um, when you, when you come at it with that mindset, I think you'll, you'll find that you're, um, getting more out of what you, what you invest into yourself than you otherwise would. So it's, it's safe to say, you have a portfolio of investments you made in yourself. So I'm sure you have some on your wish list. So if I gave you time or money or both, where would you, is there anything on your wish list that you would allocate it to as far as uh, an investment? It could be sort of personal or career related. It's interesting. Um, yeah, it would definitely be what I would probably want is to take money if i if i had sort of a blank check and um may find figure out who my dream you know 100 podcast guests were and then use that money to like you know buy some of their time by donating to their charity or doing something that would get their attention so that i could get 30 to 60 minutes of their time and get them on my podcast because number one, it's a candid, it's a, obviously an interview. You get to ask really whatever question you want. And two, you record it so you can listen to it as many times as you want. And obviously you get sort of the benefit of like posting, you got this big name person on your, on your show, but also just the knowledge that those people have um, and trying to grab a piece of it with that amount of time. I like that's where I would go because you can always like, if you go find a real estate deal and it's a good deal, I believe you can always find money for it. Like you can always go get another client and go make more money or, or put an ad campaign out and that sort of thing. But what it's, what it's really hard to do is to shrink time relative to the lessons you have to learn to be effective. And, uh, if you're, if you can go learn from someone else in person, at least that's how I would want to do it. Um, and, and, and just see how they answer questions and how their mannerisms are and like the way that they carry themselves and the way they answer the questions like that to me would cut a ton of time off my learning curve and hopefully, um, you know, be something I can implement into my life to, to make, get me to where I'm hoping to go even, even faster. That's a great answer. And that's a good segue into our final questions here. So skipping ahead a little bit, one of the questions I had for you is if you had a dream guest for your own interview on your own podcast, which you do have dead or alive, 
So in that example you just gave, instead of your top 100, you could only have your top one. Who would it be and why? Right now, I think it's Gary Keller. Um, our our real estate team, um, since I've joined, has, has had to move around brokerages for a number of reasons. And we've now landed at Keller Williams. We're part of the luxury brand for them. Um, and so I am absorbing as much as I can through the culture of Gary Keller. Hence why I have these these books, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent and Investor on my desk. Because I really want to understand him the way he's he teaches his philosophy because he's been a guy who's been through multiple ups and downs through a very disrupted industry multiple you know new entrants and he not only has succeeded and created the largest real estate company in the world but he's done it as a private company like the Keller Williams is privately owned it is not publicly traded at all and it's and he let go of the reins at one point to give the to to give up control of the CEO position. Um, he didn't like the direction the the company was going, and then decided that it was he he felt responsible to come back and get get the company back on track. And this is a guy who was worth hundreds of millions. Of dollars because of his stake in Keller Williams at the time. He didn't need the money. He didn't have to come back and work, but he chose to. And so to really understand not only how he did all of that, but then to understand that mindset, uh, that, that he is like the top of my list right now. So flipping the question around to me, you're, you're going on a morning run and you have to listen to me interview somebody. Who do you think uh, would be a good guest for me and who would you want to listen to? Well, I think I told you off off air was uh, my, I think a great guest for you was my buddy uh, Brandon Straza, who has a he's starting a company which is um, basically helps people uh, understand and match themselves to different masterminds or events, you know, in that sort of self development world, um, and basically help people figure out if they're going to spend some money on an event or a, or a mastermind, which one they should go to relative to their goals and their styles and that sort of thing. And he's really deep into that world. So I think he would be a fantastic guy. Plus he's a, he, he's run a couple of, he runs a couple of other businesses and is just a really fantastic human being. Beautiful. No, I, I would love that. And so stealing a question from our conversation on your podcast if you had to design a course at any age, uh, any curriculum, what would it be and why? Oh man, I love that question. Um, I should ask that more on my show. <laughs> um, I've really thought about this, uh, obviously, because I wrote the question for my show. Um, and I and I don't know that I have a, a succinct answer, but I it would it would absolutely be something about personal finance or the way finances work um, and just generally how you balance a, a checkbook how a loan works how um, all that sort of basic stuff works simply put because I think that you see a lot of people entering uh, leaving high school and even leaving college who don't understand simple debits and credits of a bank account and don't understand taxes and don't understand, you know, interest rates and return on investments. And so giving people a very basic literacy around that 
so that when they go to a car dealership and they look at a loan, they understand what an amortization table looks like and how to read one and what that actually means. Same thing with like if they're looking at a potential stock or a mutual fund or a real estate deal, like they have a basic level of competence and knowledge around, is this a good return or is this bad? How do I know? You know, and just really getting some, some level of basic uh, knowledge out there to, you know, to children, hopefully, so that they can take that into their adult life would be where I, I think I would focus. So what's the best place online where people can find you if they want to get in touch with you uh, as far as your real estate business goes or your podcast business? Yeah, man. Um, so the real estate, you know, my my show, all of that is hansstruzina.com. That's spelled S-T-R-U-Z-Y-N-A. I'm also on Instagram pretty actively at Chief Sna S-N-A-H. And then the post-production podcast company that we have is called streamlinedpodcast.com. You can check that out. Um, we're on all the social platforms as well as just the website, streamlinedpodcast.com. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's all there and, and you can find pretty much everything you want to know at those locations. That's great, Hans. And uh, you know, I, I think you have a great story and, and hopefully you're a good example or in, inspiration to anybody listening to this interested in you know, allocating some time, money, resources into themselves. I know you've been an inspiration for me just being in you know, sister businesses and seeing the way um, you, you, know, you make these investments. And I, and I see how active you are on, on Instagram. Um, I'm way, way behind you. That's, that's, not, uh, that's not my game, but hey, maybe, maybe next time we chat. Um, but any, uh, it's obviously been great having you on any parting thoughts for our listeners. Yeah, the it's yes. And I'll, and I'll give you guys kind of a resource that I created for myself that I think a lot of people find valuable. Um, which is basically just to say like, break down your day a little bit. Cause you're thinking you're, what we're talking about here is, uh, investing in yourself and getting, you know, spending money or, or starting a podcast or doing whatever. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. And so what I have found personally um, that works really well is to focus my time on specific tasks in a checklist format for, uh, for yourself. So I've created a power list um, is what I call it. So if you just go to hansstrazina.com slash power hyphen list, uh, you will be able to download the one that I created for myself and it will, and it basically is a Monday through Sunday planner gives you space to write down three critical tasks to do every single day. And if you do those things, you win the day and it's, and it's just that simple. And you're going to download this thing and be like, what is the big deal here? But if you use it and you execute and you get those things checked off, you will find after a week that you've made a ton of progress and uh, I will tell you that I wouldn't have started my YouTube, my podcast, um, my newsletter, all of the other stuff I'm doing without this list. So I will, I, that's, you know, totally for free. Uh, you can just go there, download it. And if it helps you, um, shoot me a message. I want to hear about it. That's great, Hans. I really appreciate that. And if anyone is in the Bay Area and they're interested in getting, what, uh, twice twice a month updates on the real estate market, can they subscribe to your newsletter on your website? Yes. Um, yeah. On almost all the pages, not the podcast page, but all the other real estate pages, uh, you will get the pop-up and it will 
take you over there. And then if you if you um, just download the the power list, it'll uh, notify me and I can put you on the list there as well if you want those. Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Hans. Uh, we really appreciate your time and have a great day. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks again for listening to today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. All of the show notes and links can be found at personalequitypodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to share it with a friend or leave a review. Reviews help the show get noticed. The best places to leave a rating or a review are iTunes or Spotify. Mike Troxell owns Modern Financial Planning. All opinions expressed by Mike or guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of modern financial planning. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions.